Kathy Mosasana on SAFM. All right, 13 after 11 o'clock. Of course, those were just some of uh, the reflections that you had to share with us based off the conversation we had in the last hour, reflecting on just some of the uh, policy outcomes in as far as that policy conference of the ANC is concerned. Coming up in this hour, we're going to have part two of a conversation that uh, started last week, and it's really um, based on scenarios, right? Uh, This is... Uh, scenarios 2030 what will the country potentially look like what are uh, the scenarios that are being put forth on the table and what can we do to arrest us going in any particular direction um, because of course the the scenarios in and of themselves serve as warnings right they're saying if we're not careful and if we do nothing, this is where we may end up. And I think a lot of uh, time really being spent last week discussing the various um, scenarios. Today, we're going to t- take a look at um, the role of social compacting because it's a word that um, has been used quite extensively, particularly under the Ramaphosa presidency. There are social compacts for all sorts of things. We'll find out exactly what some of them are. Um, let me invite back onto the show Dr. Tara Posa Nwadu, who is lead researcher for the Indulamiti Barometer. Dr. Tara, good morning. All right, I think I'm going to need somebody just to come and help with Dr. Tara's microphone because I'm also uh, not hearing her. So uh, just hang. let's try that again, Dr. Tara. Good morning. Good morning. Ah, much better. Thank you. And then let me also welcome onto the show Kolelwa Kashe Katia, who is the acting project leader for the Indulamiti Scenarios Trust. Kolelwa, good morning. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you for having us again, and good morning to your listeners. And also joining us virtually for today's discussion, Jackie Silias, who is the head of African Futures and Innovation at the Institute for Security Studies. Uh, Jackie, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Sure, it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, I think first, let's talk about um, the the role of social compacts. Um, It's something that has been championed by the president from the onset of his presidency. I think there was a a social compact that was entered into within the very first year that he had taken over. I just forget over what issue it was. (laughs) And there have been many that, that have followed suit since then. But what is a social compact? Why are social compacts important? What role do they serve or play in society? Uh, Okay, thanks for that, uh, Kathy. You know, social compacts are not uh, a, 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 a new phenomenon. I mean, there's been countries that have realized that development through social compacts, case in point being some of the Asian tigers, uh, for example, I'd use um, uh, South Korea. But also if you look at uh, European countries like Ireland, when they were dealing with issues of inequality and unemployment, uh, uh, wages and so on, they had to enter into a compact, which is really an agreement. Others would say it's, uh, I mean, it's a pact or it, it's slightly different from a social contract, which entails, you know, payment of tax and so on. But it is uh, coming together of different stakeholders who are usually in opposition with one another. Uh, would use the example of business 
and labor and government. You find that there's a lot of contestation, a trust deficiency, but through a compact, you can bring together all those stakeholders onto a platform that is informed by a sense of compromise. So uh, what you need to be mindful of is that, you know, we all know that we all have ideological, you know, underpinnings. So that needs to be, for, you, you need to forego your strong uh, ideological positions to come into a compact with an understanding that there's uh, the idea of compromise, but also it entails shared risk. Now, when you come to a country like ours that has this uh, very wounded uh, history that continues into the present, we find that we have um, a lack of capacity you know, within the state to deliver on even some of the most basic services like delivery of clean water, electricity, and so on. So how do you then bring business and labor to work together with the state to ensure that those services are delivered? So where there's lack of capacity within the state, maybe you'd find capacity within the private sector, for example, or even, you know, ideological position being shaped through that conversation with labor. But what makes us unique is that we also have this emphasis on civil society as South Africa, because we do have that heritage of civil society being drivers of transformation in our country. So all those parties have to come to an agreement wherein they understand that I cannot come in with my strong, you know, maybe um, socialist ideologies when I engage with business, but also business cannot be only informed by the need to raise capital or the need to maximize on profit and so on. Similarly with government as well, as much as they have their own agenda, they have to come into a compact with that understanding that there has to be a sense of compromise. So it is shared risk, it is collaboration, but uh, I think what's lacking with all the ones that you've mentioned before, because we've done many, the job summits, you know, the various job summits were a form of compacting. They failed because no one is holding anyone else accountable. And, and, and that's probably part of the difficulty, right? Because beyond being able to gather different groupings of people that represent various constituencies and getting them to agree in that moment on certain things, what happens after they have left those discussions, after the pressure of the moment is done, after the glare sometimes of, of the media is gone? And it reminds me, in fact, of, of, of the, the compact on ESCOM. That's the one I was thinking about because that took months and months and months and discussions at NEDLAC, et cetera, et cetera. When it was struck, it was like this huge thing. We finally have a social compact on ESCOM. And then... Nothing. Now we, now we are here. A and that compact was supposed to be what turned things around. And as far as the engagement between the state, the private sector, and who was going to do what in helping to respond to this country's energy crisis. We're going to continue the conversation. We'll hear from uh, Jackie Silias and also uh, Dr. Tara Polsa Nwadu in a moment. The Talking Point with Kathy Motlatana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. 21 after 11 o'clock, we continue the conversation on the Talking Point. Uh, scenarios 2030, today specifically looking at the role of social compacts in helping us shape the kind of society that we want to have. Jackie, let me give you a chance to come in here. Role of social compacts for you? What is the significance of these agreements that take 
many, many days, sometimes months at exclusive resorts, lots of tea and coffee breaks. <laughs> yes, um, I mean, South Africa has been enamored with social compacting uh, for for many years, for decades, in actual fact. Um, and um, I take a slightly uh, different view, and that is that I think given our divisions and the challenges that we have, we really need to focus on where we want to end up and present a kind of a vision of where we would like to be uh, and where we would like to go, and then build a consensus around those end objectives because uh, we are so divided and the uh, particularly the ideological underpinnings and the racial and other differences between our society really complicate things and then um, decide how we are going to proceed uh, to get to a particular objective let's say like reducing unemployment reducing inequality and so on and so forth um, because we tend to get trapped in our um, in our ideologies and uh, in our particular frameworks that come from how we are educated, um, our um, uh, social context, our class context, and so on and so forth. So I'm a little bit, um, I'm, I'm not that um, enthusiastic, I, I'm, that's probably not the right word. I, I don't have the belief that somehow social compacting in itself um, solves many problems. I think um, given, for example, South Africa's current challenges, it really very much is for me an issue of prioritization on, on those matters that uh, over time can help us uh, work out of where we are. For me, that at the moment is unlocking economic mm -hmm. growth, unlocking particularly the on constraints on on making that possible electricity energy is one of them foreign investment could be another one and so on and so forth and then using the proceedings of that growth to deal with uh, some of the structural challenges that we have such as the composition of our economy um, inequality and so on and so forth so um, I, I think what we see in South Africa and we've seen that not in, during the, the Zuma administration, you had um, corrupt action, <laughs> uh, incompetence. Um, during the Ramaphosa administration, you have ethical action, but very slow action. And you have a party that, um, that, that really faces many challenges in moving South Africa forward. And you, you, one needs to ask yourself in, in the South Africa of tomorrow, which is a South Africa where the ANC no longer is the dominant party, and given very competitive and racialized politics in South Africa, I would almost say racist politics, xenophobic politics, how we move out of that to a society where, where the language and the discourse um, is changed. Um, mm. For example, over this weekend in parallel, very deliberately to the ANC's policy conference, you had the EFF uh, and their ninth policy conference. You just listen to the racism um, that Julius Malewa put out publicly, and you ask yourself how, with that kind of politics, with that kind of fake news and uh, stuff, how, how are you going to take South Africa forward in a competitive environment that is characterized by that kind of discourse? 
And you saw some of the same within the ANC over its national policy conference. The ANC, which has stepped away from its non-racial politics and is today very much a, a black nationalist organization that then wants at the same time to enter into a partnership with business and with foreign investors, um, how we move forward if we don't change the framing of the discourse in South Africa. All so. Right. Those are mostly concerns rather than being very helpful, I'm afraid. Mm. Well, I think you, you've given us quite a bit to to unpack on as we continue to have this conversation. But Tara, I also want to give you a bite at uh, today's topic before then we begin to unpack some of the things that have been said. So I think what, um, what, what Jackie just said about the importance of having a vision of where we want to move towards as a society um, is also partly what um, you know informed the scenarios process that the Indulamiti Scenarios Foundation put together, um, and and so the the Indulamiti Barometer um, speaks to that forward-looking vision by year on year telling us are we actually moving towards this narrative and this image and this vision. Uh, of where we would like to be collectively as a country, or are we actually going in a completely different direction? Mm. And in fact, what we have seen and what we launched uh, last week on Wednesday on the 27th um, was the fourth iteration of the barometer, which shows, again, after four iterations, that we are continuously moving away from a vision of growth, a vision of employment and reduced inequality, a vision of a functioning state, and a vision of a socially cohesive society, so one that is less divided. Um, and really the function of that kind of a barometer is not just to kind of look backwards because that's already over. We've already made those decisions that got us to where we are today. Every single day we are taking those decisions, each of us individually, each of us in our organizations, each of us in our interactions with each other. Um, but the goal is nonetheless not just to look back, but to actually say, can we agree that this is where we are as a society today mm -hmm. and how it relates to this vision of the future? Because that is in fact one of the challenges of being able to move forward together, whether it's called compacting, whether it's visioning, whatever we want to do about the future, at some point we have to say, this is where we are now. Is this a problem? Do we agree that we are currently in a place we do not want to be and that's very far away from the vision of where we want to be? Are we moving in the right direction? Are we moving in the wrong direction? Because if we're moving in the right direction, fine. We can all say, we're doing what we need to do and we just need to do more of it, that's fine. But if we're moving in the wrong direction, we have evidence of that and we can agree on that, it does actually tell us that we have to change something. Is it absolutely necessary for there to be agreement about where we are? And I ask that question because sometimes in a country like South Africa, there is a lot of obfuscating of the reality of where this country finds itself in. And so depending on who will benefit from the analysis that is provided on, on the day or on the subject, there won't be agreement, simply because that agreement would also require an acknowledgement of failure on the part of certain individuals that don't want to bear that responsibility. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that's part of one of the big barriers to actually moving uh, together in a concerted way towards a new vision. 
um, part of what the barometer is trying to do is not necessarily come to agreement on the specifics of a particular sector in our society. So it's not about this is what we now, where we are in unemployment, who has failed and therefore who needs to change what. It is about a broader picture towards a collective vision for the country. And therefore, we use a wide range of data points. We use a wide range of indicators, as we discussed last week. Um, so it's it's trying to have that broader story and that broader emotional space of, <gasps> we can't just keep doing this, and we can't mm-hmm. just keep defending our own respective positions. One of the key things about compacting um, that many people have written about in various ways is that you can't get people to work together and collaborate unless there's some kind of hurting stalemate. This was the situation in the 80s, right? Where no one was able to fix it themselves to where they wanted to be, and nobody could achieve what they wanted just by doing things by themselves. All right. We're going, to continue, we're going to continue the conversation in a moment. For now, it's 10.30. Uh, Gamorello is standing by with your latest news headlines. <laughs> The Talking Point with Kathy Motlasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue with the conversation on The Talking Point, and we're talking about the role of social compacts, what role can they play, particularly when it comes to building a path for this country towards 2030, of course. Um, if you go to something like the NDP, that document talks about a lot of different types of social compacting that needs to happen in different industries and getting this country to where it needs to be. But when we realistically evaluate the role of social compacts that have already been entered into, the effectiveness of those compacts, are they really where we should be looking for solutions, collective solutions um, to the country's problems? Um, of course, joining us for this conversation, Kolelwa Kashekatia is with the Ingulamiti Scenarios Trust, Jackie Sillias, Head of African Futures and Innovation at the ISS, and Dr. Tara Polsangwadu, who is with the Ingulamiti Barometer. I want to pick up on something that um, Jackie had had raised, and that's really this idea that we need a collective focus of where we would like to be as a country. What does the future of this country look like? How do we do that um, in South Africa today? And again, if, if you go to government, they'll say, well, we've already done that. Go to the NP." See, so go 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 look at the the work of the NPC. Go look at the NDP. That's our collective vision, um, and yet we know that there wasn't consensus uh, on the NDP. There was different types of contestation to the idea of that South Africa. So, twenty twenty two, an opportunity to reimagine. How does that conversation look like? Uh, especially if we're talking about eight years to get whatever needs to happen done. Olela? I think just to build on Yaki's uh, input around uh, the focus on the end objective, yes, there has to be a common vision towards which we will all drive to as a society. 
However, he, he points out something very important, which is the diversity of South Africans. We are so diverse. We've got, um, you know, objectives that are sometimes are at odds with each other, not just in terms of class or whether it's business or government, but as ordinary South Africans in, you know, our society and our everyday, we are so diverse. So how do you then get people to find that common vision? Others have proposed that the Constitution in particular the preamble of the constitution could mm. well be that north star because there's agreement on it even though it's contested in particular by young people who find that the constitution is not really working when it's tested but a key ingredient of compacting is leadership so then that takes us to the consensus because if you look at the codesa moment there was some consensus but it was not full consensus there was what we call sufficient consensus mm -hmm. so you should be able to have a leader that can drive a particular agenda towards a north star understanding that there is sufficient consensus there are those you know who have uh, opposing voices like it happened with Cortesa. but do you have a credible leader who society can follow can they get everyone to you know to to fall in and galvanize all of them others would refer to the leadership of mandela where even during that moment of chrisani where he could actually put himself out there as a leader so i think that is a key ingredient we've got the institutions there's already the netlack what's and all with all the criticisms of netlack as a platform but it is there formed by law the netlack act as a platform for such conversations but where is the leadership that strong leadership that is credible and trusted so so Kalilo, on this issue of sufficient consensus right today we have the benefit of hindsight and also the benefit of the critique of how far sufficient consensus actually takes one is it still is it enough when you look at the problem south africa is facing today and how that very moment is now the moment of it's the point of attack it's really the point of scrutiny for why so many south africans believe their lives yes we, there's political freedom you can vote but the economic social aspects of that freedom have not yet been fully realized mm -hmm. The dialogue, of course, has to be continuous. You know, mm. you, you, that's why uh, I disagreed with the idea of a compact in 100 days, because it's a long-term uh, affair. And for us, you can even, as I was saying, you take it from the Codessa moment and all the different efforts towards, you know, a kind of combat from the RDP, the different job summits, the Askisas of this world, and, and so on. NDP, it continues. But I think for us, what is important that we should never forget is the historical context. Mm. No matter what we do, I mean, we have all these uh, differences and that's why the constitution becomes important because it is informed by our history. So if you're coming from business, there has to be an understanding of why this big business thrives in South Africa. A lot of our history has to do with that. But also why is the majority trapped in poverty there's also a knowledge, and it has been proven, that it is directly linked to our history. Mm. Why is civil society important in this conversation? It's informed by our history again. So we cannot deny that we went through what we went through, because that festering wound is still there, continuing to fester, but we keep putting all these different band-aids over it. So the moment we have an honest conversation regarding our history, with that strong leadership driving the con conversation across society to pull everyone together towards that North Star.
Jackie, when you look at some of the social compacts that have been entered into, um, you know, at least as a country, and I was I was saying that, you know, over the last five years, one that comes to mind is, of course, um, the, the social compact around ESCOM and, and how big a deal was made of that. But uh, serious questions about what has been the actual result of, of a compact like that. Um, do you think that the points of success that 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 you can highlight that that you can find? I think Colella made a number of important points when she pointed to the relationship between leadership. Social compacting is not an event; it's a process. It requires ongoing leadership, ongoing reiteration of the values, the ethics, the goals that drive us. We will never agree upon the context because we come from our, our social reality, our lived reality is very often very different in South Africa and people are educated differently and they believe in different things and they come ideologically from very different perspectives. And I think um, given those differences, I, I tend tend to believe in, the, in this issue of having clarity on where we want to go, what we want to change, and then adopting evidence-based policies to change that. Um, and to say, so more than anything else in South Africa, the most important thing we have to do is to unlock economic growth. Um, yes, we need to deal with inequality and all those things, but you can't do that if you don't grow the cake. Um, so what unlocks economic growth? given the other constraints that we have to bear in mind in terms of not growing inequality and, and so on and so forth, and then look at the evidence and apply that. Um, because I think that a kind of a technocratic evidence-based approach uh, takes us forward, um, given these divisions and the issues. And, and as Tolela indicated, the appropriate leadership is so important. You know, why we all look towards Mandela and what he had what he did is because he came with such a clear ethical lodestar. He appealed to the angels in our nature. He didn't appeal to our base uh, instincts of xenophobia and uh, homophobia and all of these things. He appealed to what we all want to, what we all strive to, what we are maybe too weak to achieve. And that's the kind of leadership that we're looking for. But it is leadership. It is not lowest common denominator leadership, which is often what I think we're seeing in South Africa, where we're trying to find where the consensus is, and then we live towards that. It is the values, the beliefs in our constitution, amongst other things, that we would like to aspire to and live towards that. It's an ongoing process. It's daily work. So that's why I think this issue of leadership and the values and the language that we use in speaking with one another is so important. South Africa's current social discourse is laden with um, racism, with hate, um, with all kinds of issues that make it very difficult uh, to move forward if we don't find that our leadership provides that appeal to the angels in our nature. And and uh, for me, that's the kind of leadership that Colella is speaking about and I think is sometimes missing um, in, in, in our daily discourse. Okay, Tara. 
I think the only thing I wanted to add is that um, if there's someone who says we don't need dialogue and we don't need to talk to each other anymore, we're done talking, we want action now. The only alternative to dialogue, the people who tend to say that are, I know what should be done and I want everyone else to do what I think is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's just a sort of warning that, I mean, yes, of course, I also completely understand that, that there's a sense of frustration and a sense of tiredness with, oh, these people are talking over there and like nothing seems to change. Um, so, yes, change needs to happen. It needs to be uh, feelable and visible. Absolutely. But for people who say, let's stop talking and do now, it, it does tend to be that they say, everybody must now do what I tell them to do which is a different kind of politics. That's not democratic politics anymore. Mm. Um, And so as a political uh, sort of claim that uh, I'm a a good leader because I don't want to do talking, I want to do action now, that's that's no longer democratic leadership. Does it not come out of an acknowledgement where the implementation of policies concerned? So it's this idea that there's so many great ideas that have been put out there before, but so little of them are manifest, at least in the way that they are envisioned in our society, that when people say, we're tired of the talking, can we get to the doing mm-hmm. part? That, that That's what they're pointing to. They're saying, well, if we did what we said we were going to do 15 years ago, then we wouldn't have to have this conversation that's probably going to lead us Mm -hmm. to similar solutions um, as to what we came up with 15 years ago. No, absolutely. But I mean, I think this is again where, um, you know, running a country is a complicated set of institutions that all have to work together. So even Mm -hmm. if there's a policy decision and something that was said 15 years ago at a senior level, if the leadership to implement it through, as like for example, the ESCOM story, right? Um, There are there are so many sectors. There's transport. There's mining. There's the sort of you know engineers. The the treasury has to be. So there's so many different institutions. And if the talking doesn't continue through all of those institutions to get them on the same board, then you don't get implementation. So it's not that we don't get implementation because we must stop talking now. It's that actually we haven't been talking through the institutions and across mm-hmm. the actual planning requirements of all the institutions, and because. Uh, frankly, for the last 10 years, we've had a hollowing out of so many of the actual technical implementing institutions, which is why we now have water issues and power issues and justice issues, right. etc. Pastor Duma, you're calling us from Durban. Hi, Pastor Duma. Yes, I'm calling from Durban, Kathy. How are you and everybody? Well, thank you, Pastor Duma. I'm very well. Thank you very much. Uh, I think it's uh, J- is it Jackie, the gentleman that spoke about the Zuma uh, corrupt times, and then he speaks about the ethical times of uh, of uh, Ramaphosa. Um, I, I, I really love to, to have that thinking capacity where Zuma was corrupt and uh, Ramaphosa is ethical. And I think your spokes, uh, your person, uh, the lady right now, speaks about it is difficult to run a country. If you run a country like a motor vehicle. And you take the piston and put it on the boot and put it on the wheels. It will not go right at all. But if you appoint the right people for the right positions and the right uh, space, then everything will function well. But to only say Zuma was corrupt, 
that is absolutely hogwash, number one. Number two, and to completely say Ramaphosa is ethical, that is absolute hogwash as well. So let us balance our speeches as we speak right now, because we cannot just say clean, 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 dirty, dirty, dirty. We will also get clean and dirty. Currently, we cannot just say clean, clean, and the administration is just ethical, 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 because they sealed envelopes, they sealed situations that we are speaking about now. Where ethicalness there? I'll leave it with you. I'll listen on the radio. But, but Pastor Duma, I, I feel obliged to, to say amen. No, not really sure. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, you can go for it, Kathy, because obviously that's the thing that, uh, that is invoked within me when I see it. <laughs> All right, Pastor Duba. Uh, Mike and Mafiken, good morning. Oh, thank you so much, Kathy. Hi, Mike. Hello, uh, hello, all of you there in the studio. Kathy, 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 they have arrived. Kathy, they have arrived. Kathy, do Who you is know they? Some, do you know something uh, called the Great Reset? The Great what? The Great Reset. Oh, the Great Reset, okay. Yeah, no, reset, not Reset, Reset. That is reset. doing things differently all over again from what they used to be in a normal sense. Of yes, it. yes, yes. Yeah, you must, Kathy, please encourage your other co-workers, uh, particularly Stephen Clotus, read, Kathy, read about the World Health, uh, uh, the, the World Economic Forum, the Schloss Schwab's. This idea of uh, social compact is an evil, bad thing, it's a trap, and uh, people, the world is ignorant. Watch the space. The world is ignorant. This idea was hatched by the world, uh, the globalists in the world economic forum. And uh, the, 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 the end of it, uh, it's bad for humanity. This thing and and Mike, from... Mike, tell me, tell me why it's such a bad thing. You know what? Ultimately, uh, the governments of the world, they're going to be enticed to buy into these peculiar ideas that uh, with the big uh, uh, companies uh, uh, and, and the big tech companies, they're going to be enticed to go into a partnership. But uh, in reality, far at the back, the control is just not a new idea for South Africa. It has been hatched by the same people who hatched the social distancing, uh, the, 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 the lockdowns, so that the economies of the world, of the countries can suffer. They, they are the same people. It comes from the same thing. It's not a new thing for South Africa. So, and they're going so, to spread so, 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 so all Mike, over the world. Mike, Mike, uh. let's just take a couple of steps backward, right? So yeah. the social compacting that... And this idea of talking between various stakeholders in society and coming to some form of agreement about what this country needs to look like and what this country needs to be, um, including envisioning what it needs to be in a year 2030, that you and I can and should be contributors to you say that that is um, part of this conspiracy. Yeah, you know, I like that. I knew you would come with that because now the truth, they call the truth conspiracy. I don't care what they call it, but Casey, go and read about the World Economic Forum and uh, uh, find out what type of human beings and what type of ideologies they have there. Okay. This thing is it's not a new idea for Ramaphosa. No. Ultimately, the dictates... Uh, and the instructions come from those globalists, the Bill Gates, 
the Mark Zuckerberg, the, all of them, the World Economic Forum, that, that guy who has the World Economic Forum, the world is ignorant and we're heading for, for disaster. They okay. just should talk these things. They just should talk it, but it's a bad thing. It's a trap, Kate. It's all right, Mike. About yourself. Okay, let's leave it there Thank for you. this morning. Uh, Dumisani in Poch, good morning. Hi, this is Kate. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, this is Kate, you know, we are talking about social compacts. We're talking about scenarios. But we're not really discussing the main issue and what the culprit, the main culprit to why we are where we are. Mm-hmm. And the, the main thing that I would, I would um, hypothesize um, would be as black people, we were never taught money. You know, I, I, I remember when I was young, when my uncle would come in December and he'd give me two rand, right? I'd be the most popular kid in the playground and I'd, I'd be buying everything and I was never really taught to save. Fast forward that to some of the politicians, some of the entrepreneurs that we have now, um, they get huge amount of money and still they can't spend it, right? Which leads actually to the corruptions that we see today because once that money is finished, they have to go look for more. So now that culminates every single problem that we have in this country right now, that we do not know money. We do not know how to spend money. We do not know how to save money. And that actually breeds the corruption and everything that we see. It's not Ramaphosa, it's not Zuma. They, they have their own problems. But society as a whole, especially looking at black South Africans now where we are, we really don't understand money. Okay. And if, if we can actually start understanding money and how to use money, how to make money, we will, we will then, the little that we get, we'll be able to save and make more of it and that's not needing to be corrupt. And, and most of our problems will be done. Okay. Do you so I, I, I feel that the, 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 the conversation needs to shift from what's happening but to what is the root cause of everything that's happening. And at the base of it, it's money and uh, our financial literacy. This is why we need to revamp our education system. We need to re- teach people about money. Even now, all the politicians, it should be compulsory that everybody knows how to manage money. Okay. We do not manage money. Uh, Tumisani, well. I'm going to ask you to leave it there. The point has been made. Uh, let me quickly take Temba in Kabeha. Good morning, Temba. Jesse, good morning to you and good morning to your, to your guest at studio. One, I must admit that I am. I can confirm or inform you that I am the practitioner in the local government space. We we going to social compact. We've once been there, particularly in the troubled metros between 2002 and uh, and 2014. <clears throat> there was a program called Urban Renewal. Uh, in the troubled municipalities, one in our metro, we were beneficiaries to that. Part of work that we were doing in that space was to enforce or foster social contact with communities and uh, strategic stakeholders in all different sectors. And it worked. It worked because people did not feel that they were abandoned by government. Mm. People, people felt that government was with them at all times. They did not see the need to go on strike and toy to it in the area of Motherwell, to be specific, because they knew where offices are of government. 
and politicians in the space had confidence that government is with them. And there was no way that uh, misinformation can be uh, 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 taken out to communities without either politicians or government officials correcting that on the spot. Personally, Katie, we stopped for three years in a row then people that were trying to invade large uh, tracts of land in the area. Mm. And we did not mm. fight with them, with police. We convinced them. And, and, and Temba, a lo- uh, Temba so, yeah. sorry, sorry to interject there, just very briefly, what do you think made that, th- that process of social compacting you engaged with successful? It, 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 it was successful because it was supported by government at a national level. It, the cabinet discussed the problems that were identified in those communities. I mean the cabinet, Kathy, under uh, President Mbeki. And ministers came down to respond to specific areas. And certain projects were undertaken because they were identified by the community mm. and coordinated by the provincial government and local government. All right. You would have, you, you were in South Africa, then you would have seen ministers coming down. We built... The, 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 the police station, one of its kind. If you come to that area today, now, but the current government is talking DDM. This DDM is hovering. Mm. This DDM is just, that. there is no fundamental and tangible work that is being done there. They don't want to go there, Katie. They right. don't want to go, okay. Uh, Temba, let's leave it there. But I, I, I really appreciate uh, the input that you've given, and and you know the kind of success that um, you're pointing to that that you had, um, Jackie. Just perhaps to to try and and round up then um, the conversation. What what can South Africa be doing differently? in approaching social compacting? And is it still necessary to have, again, all of these different social compacts that specifically focus on various sectors when this idea around where we should be going collectively as a country, that big question doesn't seem to have been dealt with yet? Well, I think that we have, during the course of the previous 45 minutes, covered many of the issues that need to happen. We've spoken about the issue of sufficient consensus because compacting is eventually an elite business, no matter how many how much time and effort we spend on outreach, it is eventually that the key elites need to agree. We've spoken about the importance of um, leadership, ethical leadership. We've spoken about the importance of changing the nature of the conversation in in South Africa. And yes, then we need to get together. And what we're trying to do in South Africa is we are trying to get together like on on specific issues. You mentioned ESCOM, and we can mention many other areas, things that we know need to be fixed. And then we've spoken a bit about the um, relationship between dialogue and leadership. The challenge that we have in South Africa is that we spend so much time talking and on policy documents that we think that that actual fact changes things in itself. All that that does, it changes the context. It maybe creates an enabling environment. Our challenges are, are practical and they are they relate to cha- to implementation, moving from and changing from these endless discussions and um, uh, debates that we have, translating that, taking people along 
and and implementation and that's i think often where we find that um politics in south africa and the way we conduct things is exceptionally ineffective and slow that partly reflects the nature of where the governing party comes from its coalitions and the challenges of keeping a deeply divided governing party together all right which so those are some of the elements that I think are, are all important. But, Cathy, you've also made the point we need to decide where we want to go. And I don't think there's a great degree of contention about that. And then we need to get on and getting there mm -hmm. and removing the impediments and implementing what needs to be done. Tara, does the fact that ultimately this is work that will be in the hands of the elite contribute to ideas around um, the fact that social compacting is conspiracies, that these are ideas that come from a white monopoly capital that are uh, developed elsewhere in the world and are there to impose a certain structure way of being in a country like South Africa. I think if it's seen as exclusively an elite story, then that absolutely is part of where those kinds of ideas come from. Um, I, I think the point is that uh, it, yes, the elites at some level do need to uh, cross boundaries at the elite level, but it cannot, it must not be separate from a conversation that is across the entire society. Mm -hmm. And that really is transparent and inclusive of, of uh, everyone. Um, and in South Africa, the non-elites are 99.95% of the population. So it's not like we have a large middle class, in fact, um, and that's part of where our big weakness lies. Um, and so that broad-based population conversation is so crucial, and that is, in fact, a big part of what has been missing. Kolelwa, mm. very briefly for me, just your, your concluding remarks in 20 seconds. <laughs> I think for me, I mean, we've uh, spoken at length about the diversity and also the number of priorities, which is always a long shopping list, but it's informed by where we come from. So I think if we can just be more decisive, but it's difficult as a wounded nation to be very decisive. Imagine as a person, if it was a person who was wounded, troubled and traumatized years on end, when it comes to implementing, we've got those good policies, but we are unable to implement because we are held back by our trauma. And I think once we can do that, maybe the compact can be around the historical trauma, the historical wound, how do we get past it? And maybe somehow we can find each other. Let me thank all of you for being part of this conversation this morning. We've come to the end of the show. It's a wrap for Monday. We're back with you again with the talking point tomorrow. For now, let me hand you over to the update at noon with Sakina.